Thank you for coming to the podcast. Top Turtle MMA podcast on flowcombat.com is brought to you by Human Weapon Clothing. If you want to show off how much you love BJJ or MMA, but you hate the looks of the traditional shirts that go along with it, Human Weapon is for you. The industry standard seems to be rocking dragon skulls and tribal sleeves on their shirts, but not Human Weapon. They just have good, clean graphics on high-quality t-shirts. You're going to love them, so head on over to humanweapon.com and use promo code FLOW. That's F-L-O for 15% off your first order there. Human Repping brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA on flowcombat.com, and it starts right now. Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and we have the pleasure of speaking to the style bender, Israel Adesanya, who fights Rob Wilkinson at UFC 221 on February 10th. So, Israel, let's get started right away. Uh, you know, you fought almost 60 career pro kickboxing fights, more boxing fights, uh, amassing just an 80, absolutely... 80. 80, you said? Yeah, 80 over, uh, over professional 80. fights. My mistake. So, amassing a damn impressive yeah. record along the way. What inspired you to sort of switch to MMA full-time, knowing that you were as successful as you were? Uh, yeah, if I'd taken the easy route, I would have even gone through boxing and just uh, do what the blueprint is, you know, fights on bombs, get my record padded up, and then start to, like, pick off the top guys slowly. But throughout my career, I've never had, you know, the opportunity to pick my fights or anything. I just fought whoever they put in front of me. And why MMA is because... I like the challenge. Like for me, I never like to feel vulnerable in any situation ever in a, in a fight situation. So I feel like if I'm a great boxer, if I'm a great kick, kickboxer, um, a guy with a Brazilian jiu-jitsu background or a great wrestling kid um, can catch me, you know. And I never want to get, get caught slipping. So I took the hard road and uh, pursued MMA because I like to challenge myself. Yeah, and and that actually brings up a question that I, I was planning on asking already, but I'll jump ahead to it. So the, the first reaction for MMA fans when they hear about a famous kickboxer moving into MMA is that they sort of question their ground game. Uh, you know, almost yeah. all of your fights stay standing. How confident are you in your ground game? Uh, I'm very confident. I keep getting confident every day. I just realized in the beginning, uh, when I first had my first MMA fight, I never really got taken down. But, you know, when I used to get in those situations about two years ago, I panicked. And then over the years, I fought some some crazy good ground guys. I, mean, I think the hardest one was a, a Sambo guy who, uh, from Russia, he was like decorated in all the Sambo championships, combat Sambo championships and stuff. And once he took me down, I got back up. He took me down, got back up. Tried to take me down, couldn't get me down. You know, in the first round, by the second round, I could, or end of the first round, I saw a panic and I saw, I saw that look in his eye like, oh, fuck, what am I going to do now? So if that's their plan to just get me down, <laughs> then for a long, well, short night probably. <laughs> And uh, so, so I, I want to continue to make sort of the kickboxing connection here because obviously that, that is your background. Uh, you know, a lot of kickboxers making the switch to MMA right now, probably the most popular at the present moment is, is Gokan Sakai, who uh, made his UFC debut recently. Uh, MMA fans who have never seen you before, how does your style sort of compare to his? To him, uh, we're different. I uh, met Gokan recently at uh, UFC 219, uh, just around Vegas, you know. Uh, he's a cool guy, and we chopped it up by fighting a little bit. So I'm at the uh, UFC Performance Institute. Uh, but yeah, we've got two different kind of styles. I've, I've picked a lot of stuff for a couple of things from him over the years because I watched him coming up. But um, yeah, uh, he's fast, explosive. They call him like the Turkish Tyson, Turkey Tyson. Mm. Uh, my style, I, I can mix it up, but I'm not a 
I'm not one dimensional. I, I can I can adapt to any situation. But uh, how would I describe my style? I'm freestyle. Let's put it that way. I'm a freestyle. I can adapt and overcome any situation. Well, we, we certainly enjoy watching it, too. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about New Zealand MMA, because uh, obviously you're training out of New Zealand, and it seems to be on the up and up right now. Uh, Dan Hooker recently picked up a really big win. You know, you got Mark Hunt, Shane Young, Luke Jomo all over uh, the UFC there. So who, who's yeah. sort of the next person that you train with that we should watch out coming up through New Zealand uh, that maybe is a name we don't know? Brad. Brad Riddell is one of them. He's uh, one of my teammates as well. He's a... Uh, one of the best kickboxers in the world. Uh, he's fighting um, a guy from a guy from Mike's gym in his next fight, I think, on March third. Uh, but he's uh, yeah, he he's pretty savvy on the ground as well with wrestling. He's he's a hard case. Uh, he's uh, he's way shorter than me, but he gives me a hard time during sparring as well because he knows you know my uh, go to and whatnot, and I know him as well. But he's another guy that people need to watch out for. It's Brad Riddell. We've got John Bakke. We've got excuse me, BJ Bland, got, yeah, like the whole, the whole gang of guys coming up. And once they kind of get their foot in the door, it's going to be hard to get us out. So right now we're just we're, we're piling in slowly. And, and I, I certainly like the point you made too about your training partners always seeming to know you best and that gives you the hardest time because that, that's for sure. Um, I, I want to sort of switch now since uh, now that we've kind of gotten people acquainted to your style and, and sort of what we can expect to see in there. Let's get you them more uh, acclimated to you as a person. So you were born in Nigeria. You moved to New Zealand as a, as a young kid, like 10 or 12, somewhere yeah. in that range. What, what was it sort yeah. of like moving for you that young and uh, how was the experience? Uh, yeah, it was tough because uh, New Zealand at the time didn't really have any uh, kids in my pigment, uh, not really around. So uh, in the town I was at, I was uh, I was different. And I never really, I didn't even know I was black till I moved out of out of Nigeria. Then I then I um, realized, oh wait, it's is that a problem? You know. So yeah, I had to kind of adapt to that and learn how to defend myself because uh, you know kids kids of me. And life is tough. You have to you have to have tough skin and you're you don't be afraid for any of your life. So um, yeah, I just through dancing I kinda of got my street cred because I was I was also in the dancing people kinda of gave me respect through that. And later on in life I uh I learned Taekwondo and that, that kind of um, yeah, that put me on. Yeah, so that, that's interesting that you said, too, kids being mean and, and the fact that you believe that, uh, you know, you, you sort of had to be tough through all that. Do you feel like that sort of influenced your career as a fighter? Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, uh, I'm petty as fuck, man. Like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm one of those guys, like, when I go back to the little town I used to, I grew up in, I see some of the guys that used to pick on me, and I kind of look at them like, fuck, I was scared of you. And they all like, they're taken aback by what I do now because not in my wildest dreams, but in my wildest dreams that I think I was going to be doing this. So they're quite shocked as well. Like, oh, fuck. He goes, this now? So I remember all those things. And, yeah, it definitely added some fuel to my fire. It wasn't the main fuel, but it added some fuel to my fire uh, on my grind to the top. So, so you said it wasn't the main fuel uh, that that got you into fighting. But So what was the main fuel that got you into fighting? What was the, the sort of... Uh, main incentive that that made you decide to get into kickboxing, MMA, boxing, all the above. I did talk when I was a kid. And, uh, I learned I loved kicking from that. I just, I've always just loved kicking. And um, I found Ombak, the movie that kind of made Muay Thai mainstream, and that uh, yeah, that kind of made me feel like I wanted to learn Muay Thai. So I jumped on that, 
And since I've always kind of asked myself, why do you fight? Why do you love fighting? And I'm still finding out. I'm learning constantly through every training camp, through every fight. I'm always learning something new about myself, something new about my character. And I really think it's something that even if you, you know, regular civilian, everyone should at least get into a, a proper sanctioned fight, even if it's an amateur boxing, corporate boxing, kickboxing, whatever fight, just to learn about yourself throughout that six to eight weeks of camp. And you get to, you know, you find out who you are. You can't hide. So I'm still finding out every camp, every fight. I'm always finding out every day. Well, I, I absolutely love that as a as a mentality, not just for a mixed martial artist, but for a martial artist in general. Uh, Israel, we're almost yeah. to the end of our time here, so I, I got to ask because I like to ask my uh, everybody who I interview. You know, you're fighting Rob Wilkinson, mm-hmm. UFC 221, close to home, February 10th. Uh, what's your prediction for the fight with Wilkinson? My prediction for the fight is after this fight, Wilkinson is getting cut from the UFC. I mean, you can't you can't get too much up in the world and not really show anything for us. So after this fight, he's getting cut. He knows it. So, yeah, you can just enjoy his time as a UFC fighter. And after that, after this fight, again, the, the email or the call from Nick Maynard or Sean Shelby, tell me, hey, you can go find for somewhere else. Either him or me, and it's not going to be me. Wow, I love it. Absolutely ruthless. Once again, Israel uh, Stiania fights uh, Rob Wilkinson at UFC 221 in Perth. Uh, on February 10th. Thank you again for the time, Israel. No sweat, and I appreciate it. And that interview was, of course, brought to you by Dead Frog Brewery. Dead Frog Brewery is a craft brewery in Canada, right next to Vancouver, that brings you high-quality craft breweries with no preservatives and no pasteurization, just good, clean beer. So head on over to deadfrog.ca or check out your nearest liquor store and pick some up today. Uh, we, of course, are Dave and Dan with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and that was Israel Idesanya. Dave, what'd you think? Uh, you know, I'm excited by this guy because it's one of those things when you have an up-and-coming fighter, you know, you peep their record and you say, wow, that's pretty impressive. So the first thing you see with him is 11-0. and 0. Then you go to the method of finish. They're all KOs. This is ridiculous. Yeah, and they're all KOs, and if I'm not mistaken, I might have to go back and look. They're all KOs in the first round, I think. Um, and even though, you know, it's it's local competition, so everybody can say, you know, whatever, he's fighting cans or whatnot, he's not fighting cans. He's fighting, like, the best Australia has to offer. Uh, I know Hex MMA down there is getting really big, and there are some really good names. Um, so he's fighting some real deal dudes, and if you look at his pro kickboxing record, he's, like, fucking... 50 and 15 or something like he's got like a crazy kickboxing or it might even be like five losses um I, but he's got a crazy kickboxing record crazy ko's in mma i'm super pumped had the intern look it up yeah about half are in the first round and the other half are in the second round <laughs> so yeah i mean the dude is nasty very exciting and you know it kind of brings up the point and not the topic of today's show but as more and more people, I think, are honing in on their takedown defense, I think there's more of a push from like the kickboxing, Muay Thai uh, mentality, that that style of fighting. It feels like it's kind of making a comeback to me in a lot of ways. I feel like you get a guy like this, some really good takedown defense, and let's just see what happens. Yeah, and, and I, I kind of thought that too about Gokan Sakai, too, uh, or Saki rather. Uh, because when he came over, it, it has sort of that like Chuck Liddell feel, that like sprawler brawler type feel. Mm-hmm. They're like more technical than that, 
but it, it's got that same kind of feel. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was, I mean, side tangent here. I was just watching um, the other day Eddie Alvarez versus Connor, and I just think to myself, you know, obviously Chad Mendez got him down, but I, I think Connor really worked on his takedown defense and when Eddie got in a little trouble on the feet he went he went in on Connor and Connor you know he he stood him up no problem just takedown defense and then he lit him up on the feet and you know you see that too uh, pre Joanna getting knocked out by Rose Joanna wants no part of the ground so what does she do she works on her takedown defense and she tries to keep the fight standing the whole time if you are a good striker and you can work on your takedown defense hint hint cough cough Francis Naganu you know w- we got something to talk about here yeah, absolutely. All and, right. and the other thing Joanna did do too, before we, we move on to the next topic, Joanna got up quick when she did get down. And I think that's the other thing too, that urgency to get up is lacking in some fighters. That is that's actually a phenomenal point. You that see, there's an interesting stat for fight metric right there, is it's not how many times you get taken down, it's how quickly you get back up and you're yeah, right bottom, you, bottom control time or something come up with that that advanced metric we're getting we're getting sabermetric mma style <laughs> all right let's go to something that a casual fan could sink their teeth into and that's the fact that the biggest female fighter of all time <laughs> mma fighter made her debut really not her debut because ronda rousey was at a wrestlemania a few years ago but she has now signed a full-time contract with the wwe she debuted at the royal rumble i'm talking about ronda rousey right after the first inaugural women's royal rumble gumby i am what they call in the wrestling world a smart mark you are just a (laughs) mark when it comes to pro wrestling let's get your opinion first because i mean this, this is very uh there's some gravitas to this when ronda rousey the biggest female star in ufc history and mma history you know, transitions her career, probably puts the nail in the coffin, although we already knew it was there. But what did you make of it? So, so yeah, I'm, I'm not much of a big wrestling guy. I was like a wrestling guy in the 90s. But as you know, uh, I at least keep my ear to the grindstone, especially when you hear Ronda Rousey's name. The thing that stood out to me the most, and this might be like the weirdest, stupidest take you've heard, is just how happy she seemed in an interview afterwards. Mm. She seemed like OG Ronda Rousey at that moment. And while I know it has nothing to do with, like, she's in the zone and she knows she can't be beat, it's, it's you know, scripted. We understand that. But it's just, like, really, really, really nice to see her in a mental space where she's very happy doing what she's doing again. Um, so if nothing else, I'm, like, pumped about it for that reason. You are a humanitarian. Here are a couple <laughs> big takeaways for me from that same interview I think she did with ESPN after the, the debut. And she yeah, announced that. That, you know, she was a full-time fighter there. She still can't talk about those two losses. That, to me, is very interesting. I feel like she maybe hasn't even processed those losses. And part of me, a a dark part of me, almost wonders what's going to happen when she does have to eat her first loss in WWE. Obviously, it being a work and stage. But does that sort of, like, unleash some PTSD syndrome in her? Because she never processed the actual losses in her life? Anyway, just kind of a weird side story I thought of. Two... If you had told me five years ago, and I said this on our Twitter feed today, at Top Turtle MMA, if you told me five years ago that CM Punk would be a contracted UFC fighter with already a fight under his belt and another one under the way, uh, or another one on the way, and Ronda Rousey would be a full-time WWE uh, women's superstar, I'd have said you're crazy. But here we are, <laughs> and now the UFC, or excuse me, WWE, has two of the three biggest draws in MMA history. All they need is Connor, and they got the trifecta. The three people who can pull in over a million buys in the UFC 
consistently, um, or at least with Rhonda's case, near consistently. Or no, she did it twice. Holly and Amanda is Rhonda, Brock, and Connor. And WWE under contract right now has Rhonda and Brock. There's something to that, you know? Yeah, they, I think they see that they have drawing power in the UFC, and, and I, I'm pretty sure historically the WWE does better numbers than the UFC, so I think some of that is like if they can sell a UFC card with these people on it, they know that they can definitely sell a WWE card with them, you thank know what I mean? You, thank you, I, that was the next point I wanted to make, which is yeah. I think this is a feather in the cap of the UFC in a lot of ways, because while the UFC is the king of pay-per-view and has been the past few years, even before WWE exited that market, WWE is king of the recurring strong ratings on cable, yeah. something the UFC really has not accomplished yet. Uh, you know, Even this past weekend with Jacques Ray versus Brunson, lowest ratings on Big Fox, mind you, but WWE is pulling in three to four million viewers a week on Monday night and has been for 25 god darn years. Um, so I think it is impressive that WWE values uh, these brands, Ronda, Brock, and I'm sure they'd love to get their hands on Connor. I think that speaks to how popular MMA has actually become in the past five, six, seven years. Because I'll tell you what, Ken Shamrock was in the WWE in the late 90s, and he didn't move the needle like Ronda moved the needle this weekend. So I think there's something significant to that. Here's the last point, and we'll move on, Gumby. Um, you could go to our Twitter feed. We had an interesting back and forth with Damon Martin. You could see what this all ties into when it comes to the TV contract. You know, WWE and UFC are both going to be on the open market. UFC is on the open market right now, WWE next year. Is there a chance one network signs both of them, kind of becomes the home of both worked and shoot fights, and you see just the way these companies are trading talent in a way, uh, with CM Punk coming to the UFC and Ronda going to the WWE, it would make sense for one network to go in on both of them, Um, but it's just something to keep an eye on, and I... think the relationship is good too so i don't think we've seen the last of crossover stars here yeah could you imagine if the ufc in in wwe pulled together and said we would only sell to one company could you imagine the numbers they would pull if they had to do that uh, uh i think it's brilliant i mean to be fair the ufc would do that wwe probably oh wouldn't, yeah probably not yeah, but there's yeah. no reason either of them would do because they both think they're super valuable but right but yeah I, I see your point and it is interesting so anyway we'll move on um just something to keep an eye on and obviously something we had to bring up because it was big uh, news speaking of big news stipe miocic is going to be fighting daniel cormier uh international fight week it's a super fight it'll be for the heavyweight title not sure the implications what it means for the light heavyweight title of cormier wins obviously tied up the divisions um, quite a bit. You know, we probably won't get another light heavyweight uh, title uh, defense until at best late in the year if we do it they, all. They need that to find a challenger, though. You know what I mean? Like, th- there's just like the old recycled challengers at this point in time. Let them fight it out and figure it out. I think it's great timing. Yeah, so you're, you're pro the, the super fight, Steve. Oh, Acorn. so pro the super fight. Yeah, I am too. And I'm not usually. I'm uh, not usually a pro super fight guy. But in this case, it made sense. Yeah. All right. Well, it ties in perfectly to our top five, uh, our top five countdown of the week. I don't know how that worked out. What a coincidence. <laughs> but we thought to ourselves, let's count down because we love counting things down. And you can always join in the conversation at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter. Let's count down the top five 
best champ versus champ matchups that we never got. So I will repeat this to the loyal listeners. We are going to count down the top five champion versus champion matchups that we never got because we're in a new era now. The William Morris era is about giving us super fights. It's about that champ versus champ shit. But let's go over the five best fights that we never got. Are you ready for the countdown, Gumby? Let's do it. The countdown begins now. We really need to come up with some sort of like sound or some sort of explosion to count this down. How about I just have GSP count us down? Are you ready? Okay, sure. we're going to go with the top five uh, most impressive performances of champ versus champ matchups that we never got. Are you ready? Humans, sure. aliens, and everyone listening. Here we go. Okay, I'll stop. All right, number five. We are going with... The number five matchup, champ versus champ matchup that we never got is Jose Aldo versus BJ Penn, circa 2009. BJ Penn, the 155 UFC champion. Aldo, the 145 WEC featherweight champion. Gumby, talk to us about this matchup. So I would have loved to see this matchup back in the day because prime BJ Penn was like a scary mother. You know what I mean? Like mm. his boxing was scary. His jujitsu was scary. Mm. And then you look back at Aldo as the featherweight champ back then, too. He was already chopping people down and cutting their legs up. At this point in time, it sounds so crazy because BJ is getting beat up by like jobbers in the UFC, basically, at this point. Wrestling and Aldo still And Aldo's still like a killer. But back then, prime BJ, 2009... that would have been a fucking really legit matchup. Yeah, and I think back then, one of the things I loved about BJ, his striking was so crisp. Um, His striking versus Aldo's striking would have been insane. uh, You know, and the only thing I can really think of is, obviously, Jose, I think, mixes in the leg kicks uh, uh, more than BJ did, but if you had to go to Vegas and place a bet, Gumby, who would you go with in that fight? I think I probably would have went with Aldo. Mm. If you could have rewound BJ a little bit further before Aldo was featherweight champ, I probably would have taken BJ through like wrestling grappling. Mm. I just think he used to be such a killer grappler. Um, But I think 2009, they're both champions. I go Aldo. All right. I love it. All right. We'll move on to number four. And this is a fight I so badly wanted back in the day. It was John Jones, the light heavyweight champion versus Cain Velasquez, the heavyweight champion. You could have done this in late 2013 after Cain had won his belt back from JDS, maybe early 2014. You know, Cain started to get very injured right around then. uh, And Jones went on to defend against Glover. Uh, in that spring, I believe, and then Cormier the final following January. Wouldn't want to take away that first Cormier fight, you know, the Glover fight. I think this is where it could have happened was somewhere in 2014. What a fight Jones versus Kane would have been, huh? Yeah, I, I and, and it, you know, you, you made me pick on the last one. I'm kind of glad you didn't in this one because the more and more I think about it, the harder and harder it is to pick a winner here because it, Jones not cutting weight probably doesn't weigh all that different from Kane not cutting weight. You know, like they're probably both hovering in the 240 to 250 range. So like the size difference isn't what people think it would be. I don't think so. It's just like a freaking crazy matchup. Uh, The wrestling, you would have to ask the question, um, you know, is Kane smothering wrestling going to do it? 
And uh, yeah, I, I, I wish the fight happened before everything happened with both of them. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's so funny you say that because it really was right after Jones defended against uh, Gus. Well, no, you know, he got through the Glover and then the Cormier. So really, it was like early 2015 for Jones is when life just went awry. Then you had all the the hitting the woman with the pregnancy and the testing for coca. You could look it all up. Go to his Wikipedia page. We know the story. And then same deal for Kane circa 2014. I believe he was supposed to fight Verdum down in Mexico. And then he had to pull out. And that just began a series of about three years of pullouts. We've seen him fight maybe twice since then. So if there was ever a time to do it, it would have been that time frame. Jones versus Kane. I agree with you. Tough to pick a winner, but I definitely would have watched it. We move on to number three. Three, and this is one that's very interesting because it would be the only two non-contracted UFC fighters at the time that we have on this list. But it was a dream matchup once upon a time, circa the early 2010s. It's Eddie Alvarez versus Gil Melendez. Talk to us about it, Gumby. Yeah, it, it was a time when these two were thought as two of maybe the best 155ers on the planet. Neither of them signed to the UFC and it seemed like Strikeforce and Bellator were trying to figure out a way to make Melendez and Alvarez fight, and they just couldn't get it together. And you know, it, it might have saved Strikeforce if they could could have put it together because it was such a big fight. Um, although Strikeforce had their own issues going on, and I would still love to watch it today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it. Well, Gil Melendez is still on the roster, right? I mean, they could. Yeah, put but he, this... he's he's down to forty five now, and he did he pop for steroids? Has he been away for steroids? Well, he just came back. Um... And yeah, beat by Jeremy Stevens. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was going to say, and also, I mean, we did end up seeing it in uh, in Mexico. Remember when Eddie Alvarez's eye swelled up so badly? Oh, yeah. But he came back to win the fight. But it really, and that's actually when um, Melendez first tested positive, I think, for drugs. But bottom line is, it was really four years earlier when this fight should have happened. I hate when the fight happened after it should have. Yeah, after it should have. That actually could be like another top uh, five list is like yeah. the fights that happened too late. I don't know. That's just getting weird. But um, OK, anyway, so that's our only non UFC fight. And what a banger it would have been when they were both really in their prime. One representing Strike Force and one representing Bellator. We moved to number two. It was talked about on message boards for a long time. We're going back in the day, circa 2008, 2009. You could call Fedor the Affliction Champion. You could call Fedor the Strike Force Champion. Whatever you want to call him, we want him facing our man, Brock Lesnar, the UFC Champion. Talk to us about what Fedor versus Brock would have been like. This was like the genetic freak versus the the prototypical not genetic freak, right? <laughs> like, I mean, Fedor is so unassuming and so like for a lack of a better word, a little bit doughy, you know, and then you got Brock just like the complete genetic freak who, even if he wasn't ever on steroids at any point in time in his life, he's freaking huge. His chest is huge. His shoulders are huge. He just looks like human beings don't look though. But Fedor is, is seen as immensely more talented than Brock in the long run. Right? So it's like this beautiful mixture of like ultra talented versus ultra skilled and that to me is is really interesting i i couldn't say it any better than what you just said it would be skill versus freak athleticism um and just something that i think would have actually really more so than having it take place in the ufc it's the kind of thing i would have loved to seen in 
pride because it's in a lot of ways just a freak show two larger than life fighters and that to me just screams pride and you could let brock just go a little crazy with the juicy juice you know what i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) yeah it makes it a little more freaky all right we'll move now to the number one champ versus champ matchup we never got and i think you probably know it if you've watched ufc from before the connor versus ronda days this fight was teased and they taunted us Dana White even said maybe they would get uh, Dallas Cowboys Stadium to do it at one time. To this day, there needs to be like a uh, government investigation as to why this fight never happened. It should have happened, and I'm of cost. I'm, I'm of course talking about Anderson Spider Silva versus GSP. Could have taken place at middleweight. They're both now former middleweight champions. Ha ha ha! What do you think of this fight, and why didn't it happen? Uh, I don't know why it didn't happen. It was probably all the GSP stuff. You know, like, you hear all this stuff about GSP having now moved up. He, like, hated the experience, never really wanted to do it in the first place, thought it was dumb, and is never going to do it again. That that was probably in the back of his head the whole time. Uh, now, looking back at it, it probably wasn't Anderson holding it up. Mm. You know, like, Anderson probably wanted this fight, and GSP didn't. Um, especially knowing now that, like, GSP walked away and is, like, cool never fighting again, and Anderson seems to want to fight every fucking weekend if you let him. So, like, uh, I think that's probably what hold it up, but it's a shame. It would definitely be a shame now, too, if we got this fight now. Uh, speaking of fights we got way after <laughs> when we were supposed to. Here's the time frame I'm thinking. You know, GSP had such a great run, I think defended eight times in a row, and you remember when the UFC tricked us into thinking uh, Tiago Alves had any shot at beating him, and then GSP <laughs> was, just steamrolled him with a broken I, groin? I was thinking that one, so they, they made me think that uh, Tiago Alves is a good challenger. You know who else the UFC PR team did a great job of uh, making me believe was going to beat fucking GSP? Was I for real thought Dan Hardy had a fucking shot <laughs> now because their PR team just touted him as this like brilliant striker. Yeah, right, which was completely neutralized by GSP's wrestling. The only thing they could have done as like a flash forward hindsight or I guess foresight being 2020 was they could have said Dan Hardy has an arm that cannot be Kimorid or armbarred by this pay-per-view to watch it. And I'd be like, okay, I'll see that. But other than that fact that Dan Hardy is triple-jointed in his arm, you're right. There was zero chance of that happening. Here's the time frame that I'm thinking of, though. Right around there, either you take away the Alves or the Dan Hardy defense from GSP, and look at this run that Silva went on as far as oh, fights brutal. go. Ta- Talis Lates defended, won by unanimous decision. Then he knocks out four Griffin when he was just playing around with him in 30 seconds and then the worst fight of all time versus Damian Maya you can I mean the Forrest Griffin thing is kind of a funny moment just to see Forrest reaction running out of the octagon and how uh, you know Anderson was almost playing with him much like you play with a cat so I kind of don't want to strike that from history but you can keep the Talis Lates fight or the Damian Maya fight and give me a GSP super fight in there absolutely or take him take away his like 205 fight against James Irvin right who cares (laughs) although that's a sick knockout watch that one again if you get a chance all right so let's review it uh Talk to us on Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter, or you can email the show if you absolutely hate these picks or love these picks, MMA at Gmail. Number five was Jose Aldo versus BJ Penn. Aldo, the featherweight WEC champion. BJ Penn, the 155-pound UFC champion, both in their primes, would have been sick. Number four was John Jones coming up to heavyweight and fighting Cain Velasquez.
Reyes circa 2013. Or you know what? There's even some rumors that maybe Kane could have made that cut to 205. Either way, it's a fight we want to see. Number three was the 155 fight that we never got. Uh, one representing strike force, that being Melendez, one representing Bellator, that being Alvarez, Eddie Alvarez versus Gil Melendez circa 2010, 2011 would have been sick. Number two, of course, Fedor versus Brock. It's a science experiment versus a skilled Russian who never smiles. Harkens back to the days of pride would have been cool in the UFC though as well. Uh, and we're sad we never got it. And then of course, number one, GSP versus Anderson Silva. The only other thing honorable mention we did want to talk about was we did toy with the idea of, uh, Askren versus GSP, something, you know, it's a shame Ben Askren never came to the UFC. A damn shame. And that would have been cool, though, Ben Askren representing whether he was with Bellator. I, I, that's one. One. Or one, um, you know, but obviously they were never really champs at the same time. It, it was tough to kind of make that one work. But as far as a matchup goes, would have loved to have Ben Askren versus GSP. I'm not completely sold that that one's not going to happen later, too. You think so? I just have that feeling. It, there, I have no basis for that feeling. None whatsoever. The UFC seems to hate Ben Askren. GSP might never fight again. Yet something deep down in my stomach believes that that fight happens one day. Yeah, I hear you. Just because we are uh, perfectionists here, you know, Askren basically won the Bellator Championship in October of 2010. Um, so G- yeah, GSP somewhere in 2010, you could have pulled off GSP UFC champion versus Askren, the Bellator champion. So talk to us if you think that should have been in the top five, that's our honorable mention. And we'll go from there. Gumby, are you ready to move on with our breakdown of Lyoto Machida versus our boy, Eric Anders? Yeah, but before we do, let's make sure that we mention that this fight card breakdown is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. Sisu Mouthguards makes the best, most lightweight mouthguard on the market. You can talk, you can breathe, you can drink, all with that mouthguard up in your mouth while protecting your chompers. So head on over to SISUGuard.com and check out the right mouthguard for you. Love me some Sisu Mouthguards. They keep my chompers safe and secure when I go to jiu-jitsu at night. All right, so we have an event coming up. It's Lyoto Machida versus Eric Anders. Uh, it's this Saturday. It's from Bellum, Brazil. And in the main event, you're getting Anders versus Machida. Who you got here, Gumby? So this is my favorite matchup on the card, I think, because uh, I'm still, even though he lost to Derek Brunson last time, I'm still not sold that Machida is still not uh, a pretty legitimate like top 10 guy. And, and Eric Anders is not ranked right now. So that, to me, this determines whether or not Anders is like legit and for real. Or if Machida's not yet done, uh, which is is just like such a fun play. Like either of them could be unranked, either of them could be top ten, uh, and this seems to figure it all out, which which to me is really 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 fascinating. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I just don't know which Leota's showing up. Is it you know the prime Leota, or is it this older Leota we've seen run into some problems, a little slower, no one really fooled by the karate stance. Um, you know, who's to say that, uh, Anders doesn't shoot for a takedown, Ah, you know, you just, and Anders is still raw. He's, he's still new to this game. I mean, he hasn't been doing MMA for a really long time. I really like him in this. I will probably pick him if you put a gun to my head, Same here. but 
that like rawness versus a really 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 polished but slightly slower machida is fascinating to me all right we'll move on this fight card i wouldn't call it stacked by any measures but you have you know some fun fighters fighting valentina shevchenko's fighting priscilla cochiera who doesn't even have a photo on the ufc website so i think you can figure out how that's going to turn out but one of the funner matchups that we wanted to talk about is john dodson taking on pedro munoz who you got I love this one. I think I'm going to go with Pedro Munoz. Just uh, his submission skills have looked sick recently. Uh, he seems to have a better striking game than people remember. Um, you look back to his last fight, he beat Rob Font by submission. And he didn't beat Rob Font because Rob Font got sloppy in the grappling. He beat Rob Font because he tagged him in striking and forced Rob Font to shoot because he was wobbly. And to me, after watching Rob Font do just what he did to Thomas Almeida... That that's a scary dude in Pedro Munoz, uh, and maybe even a uh, up and coming contender in that 135 pound division. You heard it here first, and then we are top turtle. We like to count things down, so we're doing our top three fights. We of course talked about the main event, which is Machida versus Anders, and then of course we went to uh, Munoz versus John Dodson. And the third fight that we came up with that we think could be the most competitive, that could be the most interesting, that we think you should keep an eye on, is Tim Johnson sporting the best mustache in all of the UFC, taking on Marcelo Gome, someone we spoke about recently in another top five list, right? Yeah, we talked about him in the uh, most likely unranked fighters to pull a Vulcan and get a title shot. Boom. So I think you can tell where I'm going to go with this pick then, right? Because like, if I said he's got a chance of getting a title shot, I'm not going to pick him to lose to the number 15 ranked like, heavy, <laughs> or, uh, heavyweight. I, I think this guy is an immense talent. I, I believe he's only 23 years old. Uh, he's stopping people in the first round, and he's looking damn good doing it. And he's super super well-rounded he's got the power in his hands to knock somebody out like you would expect from a heavyweight but he's also got a really 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 slick jujitsu ground game with a little bit of wrestling built in there so to me you you put him in there with tim johnson he's gonna stuff tim johnson's takedowns if tim johnson tries to grapple with him i think he's gonna sub tim johnson and if he doesn't do either of those things and it winds up standing tim johnson just got knocked out by junior albini and marcelo gome hits harder than junior albini well, there you have it. Go lay your bets now, and if they don't work out, you could blame Gumby. Uh, I take none <laughs> of the blame for anything. All right, this has been another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We thank our sponsors, Sisu, Human Weapon, Dead Frog Brewery. We thank Flow Combat, our partner in crime, and we thank Israel Israel Adesanya for coming on the show. Very exciting prospect. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland. I am David Tremonti. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and we'll be back next week.